0: But Ruth, chapter 1, this is the word of the Lord. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilian died, so that the woman was left with her two, without her two sons and husband. Father, I pray this morning that this story that you have included in your holy scriptures would be a story that transforms lives. Lord, this delightful story, this tragic story, this story of the dark providence of God, this story about the bright providence of God, about your providence, Lord, exists for our good. So please help us to experience good this morning and in the coming weeks as we study the life of these folks. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting that the book is named Ruth because as you read through this book really Naomi is the main character. <laughs> and then you've got this wonderful godly man named Boaz. It it really could be the book of Naomi, it could be the book of Boaz and yet God in his wisdom, entitled it the book of Ruth. And there is a reason for that. Now, the author of Ruth is unknown. And as we read the, in the opening verse, this amazing story takes place In the days when the judges ruled and there was a famine in the land. Judges was a time when at the beginning of Judges you see that Joshua has died. So there is no one to lead the nation of Israel. There's no king. And so... The Lord the people inquire of God and the Lord simply says let Judah and not Judah the person but Judah the tribe let Judah rule and so they appointed Judah to rule Israel but sadly during the time of judges as we read Israel rebelled repeatedly against God. They worshiped man made gods. They turned away from the living God. And each time they rebelled, as you read in the book of Judges, God would discipline them. He would discipline them through famine. He would discipline them through war. He would discipline them through captivity. But they would, once again, as they were being disciplined, they would turn to God again and repent. And God, in His the Hebrew word would be hesed, which is the covenant mercy of God, the kind and loving character of God. In his hesed, in his covenant mercy, God would send a redeemer. And as you read in the book of Judges, he would send numerous redeemers, men like Gideon, Othniel, Barak, and eventually Samson. And Samson was the one redeemer who was not only a redeemer, but he was also an evil man. And and that That was how bad things were getting in Judges. And for a time, the the folks in Israel would repent. But again, they would again and again return to their evil ways. And the last line in the book of Judges is the most telling. You Just turn one page over and look at the very last line. The author, who is unknown for Judges, makes this commentary. He says this, In those days... There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The book of Judges is a sad commentary. On the nation of Israel. The book of Judges is, is also painted on this broad canvas. It's a book more about national interests, about national sins that has social chaos in it, it has civil unrest in it, there's personal misery, and there's the harsh experience again and again of God's divine judgment against Israel's rebellion. And because of his judgment, it is a time in, in Israel's history of God's dark providence, of the harsh reality of what it means to break God's law and the consequences that come with that. And there are many, there would be many at this time simply asking, has God abandoned us? Has God abandoned me. And so here in the book of Judges, you have this, this national book about this nation who was the people of God, a nation of, of God's own possession, a nation that, that God had a covenant, covenant relationship with, who has rebelled. And then you transition to the book of Ruth and you move away from this national perspective to a story. Not a commentary, but a story. A story about an ordinary family, going through the ordinary experiences of life. A story about a few people. A very personal story. It is a story, though, that has its darkness as well. But it also has the bright providence of God. It's a story as well about the hesed, the covenant mercy of God. It is about God's faithfulness to an ordinary family. It is about God's love to an ordinary family. It is about an ordinary group of people facing very ordinary events. And although we might see the the death of a husband and the death of children as significantly tragic, and they are in the life of people, it's just an ordinary event. And yet, we see at the end of Ruth, in God's providence, this extraordinary outcome. Ordinary people, ordinary events, and an extraordinary outcome. It's about a personal God who cares about particular lives. And it is a Book written to you, to communicate to you that this Creator, this Holy God, cares about your particular life. He cares about your ordinary lives. He cares about your ordinary circumstances. And for every person who has put their faith in Christ, who has trusted in Christ, he has an extraordinary outcome planned. Dale Davis, in his commentary, says this. He says, God never gets so wrapped up in kingdom affairs that he forgets his kingdom people. That's the God we serve. Yeah, God has this incredible Sovereign plan for history, for nations, for people, for the church. And yet, with all his kingdom concerns, he has a concern for kingdom people individually. Ruth is both a tragic and it is a delightful story with a happy ending. It's a personal story about how God cares about you and me in our daily lives and how he has a greater purpose in all the things that we experience in life. It's, it's a story story. That is, as Sinclair Ferguson says, it's a story crucial to the biblical narrative of redemptive history. It describes one more stage in the purposes of God as they move inexorably towards the final redemption of his people through Jesus Christ. Many years ago, now, I read a book, one of my favorite all-time books, Called The Greatest Game Ever Played. It is the story of a man named Francis we met Francis was a young amateur golfer in 1913, and he was and it tells his story about how he at the end of the story he wins the our our nation's most prestigious golf tournament against the world's best professional golfers. Francis beats Harry Varden and Ted Ray, the two world-renowned golfers, professional golfers. And, and it, is the, it is the experience that catapulted golf into the American uh, society, into the American psych, that when golf became this national sport. And interestingly, I mean, it's a wonderful history book as you read, but, but I knew the outcome of the story before I ever picked up the book. I knew what was going to happen before I ever picked up the book. And yet, because of the author's gift of writing, but also the story itself. When I began reading the story, I could not put it down. And I knew the end of the story. I knew, I knew how it, it, it came out. And I, that, and even though I did know the end of the story, it didn 't make reading the book any less intriguing to me and ruth 's story is very much the same we We know the end of the story listen there 's no suspense to the outcome of Ruth every time you read it, it ends up the same way nothing 's going to change, and yet there is this amazing and intriguing, wonderful revelation of who God is in the book of Ruth. It's a powerful story of how God's providence works in the lives of individual people like you and me. Its ending gloriously points to the ultimate end of God's providential working in the lives of mankind. And we will will get to this and we will repeat it again, but look at the very last verse of Ruth. Go to chapter 4 and look at verse 21. Actually, look at verse 18. We'll start in verse 18. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Neshan. Neshan fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Boy, is, does that got you on the edge of your seat? <laughs> I mean, that's just, and yet, this is the story hidden behind this genealogy of the gospel. Because Jesse, Father David, where did Jesus come from? The gospel is screaming from this genealogy. The book of Ruth ends with the wonderful providential working of God for the salvation of all humanity. Now, what is, what is unique about this book is, first of all, the author who wrote this book did not know that Jesus Christ was the end result. Right. Naomi, and Ruth and Boaz did not know that Jesus Christ was the end result all they knew was their experience of death and famine and f- living in a foreign country they they didn't know the end we have a 35,000-foot we view. We're up in the clouds looking down on the providence of God in Ruth. We see all that happens from beginning to end, and it makes perfect sense to us. We read this, and we think, yeah, this is how God works. This is, this is how we got to Jesus Christ. This is how salvation works. What's so hard about that? Listen, as Devin and I preach through this book, don't let knowing the outcome cause you to miss the stunning work of God's grace. Don't let knowing the outcome... Let you miss the transforming theological truths that are here or of the individual people, the intimate, caring way God takes a personal interest in the lives of ordinary people. And most importantly, this glorious outcome with seemingly unconnected details that are all connected in the providence of God. Because as we read in each chapter, God works the same way With you and with me. And although we can see clearly in Ruth, (laughs) in our own lives, we don't have a 35,000-foot view. We don't know in our own lives what is happening from beginning to end. Listen, I don't know what difficult thing happened to you last week. But there's a pretty good chance you're not going to know all the whys, even a year from now. We don't have a 35,000-foot view. Instead, we're just like the characters in the beginning of this story, at the beginning of this book, who don't know the why The outcome of the pain that they are experiencing. The outcome of the grief they are facing for the death of a a father and two sons. They they don't understand. They don't have the the why, the 35,000 foot view. The outcome of understanding why they are experiencing these sufferings and these trials. And that's why we're like them. Because... Very often, we don't have a 35,000 foot view of the outcome in our own lives. In the 36 years that Marilyn and I have been married, and the wonderful years we've had together, we've also experienced trial and suffering. We've been in painful situations. We've watched our children and our grandchildren suffer. And there's no, there's no certified letter coming in the mail explaining the why. And most likely when I go home to be with Christ, I won't know the why. God has the 35,000-foot view, but I don't. For me, for me, reading a work of fiction is enjoyable because I love trying to, in especially spy novels, I like to try and figure out the ending and who, who is doing what, who's the murderer, and how will the crisis end, and what will happen to the main character. And that works so great in fiction writing. It is miserable in life. <laughs> I hate not knowing the outcome. I, I, when my life is going on, I, it's like, okay, wh- where in the book do I turn to? I go to the end of the book, all I get are maps and concordance, and, and, and it doesn't tell me anything about the outcome of my experience. And some experiences last a long, 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 time oh yeah you know what i'm i'm tough i got a week in me maybe two but what happens when we get to two months and two years and two decades and nothing seems to change yeah (laughs) knowing the ending works well Learning about the ending works well for fiction, but not for my personal life. And I'm sure not for yours. Listen, dark providence, dark providence is never, never an easy road. And in these opening verses, that is all Naomi knows. God's dark providence has fallen on her family. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. We begin with a famine. Now, there isn't most likely anybody in this room who has ever experienced a famine, who has ever waited in line for food. I think the the worst of, of famine life I've ever experienced is in 1973, where I had to wait in line for gas for two to three hours because of an oil embargo. And The complaining and the anger and the rage that you would see in people's cars, banging their heads against the window and screaming at one another because there was a famine of oil. That's one thing, but to experience a famine of food. There is a famine in the land, and and Judges... 21-25 Twenty-one, twenty-five helps us to understand why. In those days, there was no king of, in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Let me tell you, most likely the reason why there was a famine in the land was because the nation of Israel was under judgment. They were experiencing the discipline of the Lord. And a man from Bethlehem, who we later... As you read on in Ruth, you will see he was well-known in Bethlehem, named Elimelech, takes his family, and he leaves Bethlehem for Moab's fields because there was food there. And as the family soon discovered, choices have consequences. Bethlehem literally means house of bread. Now think about that. Bethlehem is five miles from Jerusalem, the very center of worship for Yahweh. This is the land of milk and honey. It's the land of prosperity. It's the land of promise. And yet, because of circumstances, Elimelech leaves the land of God's covenant promise, not trusting God to provide. This may seem like a good decision to go and find food for your family, but Elimelech is not so much looking to provide food for his family, but rather expressing unbelief in God to provide. And at this moment, with this decision, he did exactly what the author of Judges says. He did what was right in his own eyes. And choices have consequences. Now, going to Moab was an incredibly bad decision. This family left God's protection. They left God's provision. They lived in unbelief. They moved to a land of unbelievers. It's an idolatrous nation that began because of an incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughter. It is a land that worshipped fertility gods, and so immorality was rampant. It is a land that, that... Drew with their foreign, the foreign women drew the Israelites away from worshiping God to worshiping the God of Chamash. It was a land that was in total opposition to Bethlehem, to the center of God's worship. They left the house of bread, they left the land of promise, and immediately. The place where they went to find food, to find sustenance, to find life, is the very place where they find death. Verse three: "But Limelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. And then, and then her sons marry foreign wives, Orpa and Ruth. And verse five, and both Malon and Kilian died so that the woman was left without her sons and her husband. And as you will read on next week, they had no children. So they were, the wives were barren. It's, that's the setup for the book of Ruth. That's the, that's the dark providence of God. A bad decision was made. Rather than repenting before the Lord, Elimelech leaves and does what is right in his own eyes. Now be careful because in the providences of God, A plus B doesn't always equal C. Now, listen, if you ask my dad he gave up on me. My dad was a math genius. My dad was an engineer. My dad knew math inside and out. He went to the Naval Academy. He was really, really smart. And all growing up through junior high and high school, as I'm getting into algebra and geometry, my dad just finally gave up. He just said, no, you're never going to get it. You, you, you're, you're not my son. And so... Yeah, but I do get A plus B equals C. Well, here, we've got to be careful that we don't assign A plus B equals C. In other words, okay, Limelech did this, and all these bad things happened to him, and that's C. You know, that, That's the A, he, he did this bad thing, B, here are the consequences, and C, it's because God planned it all that way. Uh, it doesn't always work that way. Yeah, choices have consequences. And we have to be very careful, though. Because God's got this wonderful, providential, sovereign plan that oversees all and superintends all. And we don't know the outcome. They didn't know the outcome. But we have to be careful that we don't, okay, I didn't have my quiet time today, and that's why I got a flat tire on the way to work. Oh, you laugh? I've heard that. I had a fight with my wife. That's why air conditioning broke. We we make assumptions like that. Yeah, there there was the experience of leaving and leaving God's provision. And choices do have consequences. But that's on a human level. There's a bigger, there's a 35,000-foot view here. So three quick points for you this morning, what we will learn in Ruth as we dive in in the coming weeks. Number one is this, in his providence, bad choices are not wasted. In his providence, bad choices are not wasted. Elimelech and Naomi made bad choices, but God does not waste them. Yeah, under God's judgment in his own land, he leaves for a land where God is not recognized. And the consequences, they're innumerable, as we saw death to Elimelech. No grandchildren, death for his sons, widowhood for his wife. Family name would, would end at that moment. And most importantly, they're no longer living under the shadow of God's refuge. The story in Ruth couldn't begin more tragically. But God's providence prevails and is not deterred by a bad choice. Because it is the very choice to go and for Killian to marry Ruth, and all of a sudden, the line of Jesus Christ. Sinclair Ferguson says this, God's ultimate purpose has not been to punish Naomi for her family's spiritual failures in abandoning the land and the promises. Rather, through the mysterious intermingling of his providential control over history with Naomi's family's failures, the Lord's purpose has been to reach through her life to bring Ruth to himself. A plus B does not necessarily equal C. Now, I want you to be careful never to reduce your bad experiences to that. It's, it's all because I sinned. Um, while consequences do have choices, they most importantly have divine oversight. So in his providence, bad Choices are not wasted. Ruth is not a story about punishment, but about providence. Secondly, in God's providence, bad experiences are not meaningless. Bad experiences are not meaningless. That's what we will learn in Ruth. The book of Ruth shows us in miniature form, Sinclair Ferguson, the book of Ruth shows us in miniature form, but in considerable detail, how wise God's sovereign purposes really are. We're not able to detect with perfect clarity the hand of God in the circumstances of our lives. Far less see where he is heading with them. Oh, isn't that so true? But when we find his autograph in the narratives of biblical history, we begin to recognize the same or similar patterns and principles emerging in our own lives, too. And so we learn to see his handwriting in our own experiences. William Cooper Who wrote, God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. The problem with looking for footsteps in the sea of our experience is that footsteps in the sea are invisible. (laughs) We don't see the footsteps of God in the sea of our experience, in the storms of our experience, they're invisible. Many times, our experiences make no sense. There's no explanation for why I'm walking through what I'm walking through. They seem to have no meaning. Why would God do this? Has anybody ever asked God a why question? Ever? Just a few of you. Oh, you are so godly. (laughs) Maybe we should go to another book. (laughs) If you're struggling through a troubled marriage, a prolonged illness, a financial setback, relational anguish, daily depression, and whatever experiences that are hard in this life, you often will not see the meaning behind them. And you will not often see what the ultimate outcome is supposed to be as determined by God. Now, that may seem a bit cruel. It is not cruel. It's perfection. It's perfect providence. It's the perplexity of providence, but it's the perfection of providence. Because God's plans for you and for me are perfect. They're perfect. And the outcome is perfection. And let me just, my opinion is this. You get to heaven. I don't think you're going to get a notebook filled with all of the answers. Oh, where, where, where was that? Why did this happen? I, I don't think so. Only God is all-knowing. And we will never be all-knowing. Even when in heaven we are still Created beings who serve the all-knowing, the all-powerful, the ever-present God. But we are not going to know all things. So just get used to it right now. God's footsteps leading you in his providence are often invisible And that is something we must learn to accept. So in God's providence, bad experiences are not meaningless. They're just often unknown, and the outcome is unknown, but the outcome is perfect. And then thirdly, in his providence, bad outcomes turn to good. In his providence, bad outcomes turn to good. There are times you can look back and you say, "Wow. If that hadn't happened, then this wouldn't have happened and that wouldn't have happened." Or now look and then you begin to kind of tie all the threads together and you realize, "Oh, there's a tapestry here." And it's far more beautiful than anything I would have imagined and oh, yeah. No wonder that ha- But if I had or God had said to you, we're going to do this at the beginning, your response would have been, no, we're not. (laughs) I've got a better plan, and this is how we're going to get there. In his providence, bad outcomes turn to good. The rest of Ruth's story will show us what this means and what this looks like, the pain and loss that Naomi feels is real it's real her grief is real your grief is real the pain and the loss that you experience is real but the outcome of her suffering brings about the ultimate good for humanity and it leads to this thing called the gospel it leads to the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension and the eventual return of Jesus Christ. You know, providence is often strange to us. It's perplexities and it's perfection. John Murray states that providence has its own language and oftentimes we don't speak that language. And it reveals itself I mean, providence reveals itself in so many ways, whether it's common providences like refreshing rain, great providences like the crossing of the Red Sea, or small providences like a king in Esther not being able to sleep at night and calling for a book, or smiling providences like Epaphroditus who was almost to death and yet was spared for the sake of Paul, or dark providences and frowning providences, which we all experience Simply defined, providence means to see beforehand, but there is nothing simple about it. (laughs) And there's nothing simple about providence's impact upon our lives. Over the next few weeks, Ruth is going to teach us about the wonderful perplexities and perfections of God's providence Sinclair Ferguson says this, he says, as Christians in the New Testament era, we know even more than the author of the book of Ruth about what God was planning and working out through the lives of its central characters. In this way, God is saying to us, do you see how I planted my footsteps in the sea in the lives of these, my children in past days? Let me show you how I did that. This is the kind of God I am. This is the kind of thing I do. And that is precisely what you may expect me to do in your lives, too. Trust me. I know exactly what I'm doing. Now, Ruth's story has this lesson for us. The voice that tells the story always knows more than the characters involved in it. The voice that tells the story always knows more than the characters involved in it. And you are the characters. Some of you are characters, but you're all characters in the story. And yet the voice who is telling the story, because God is the one who always tells your story. God is the voice who is telling your story because he created your story. And he knows the beginning from the end. Father we come to you this morning simply asking for the grace and the strength to live under your providence with faith whether they are dark providences or bright providences and lord as we as we study the life of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, as we read this delightful and tragic story, we ask that we would hear you speaking to the providences in our lives, that we may learn how to rest in the perplexities and the perfections of your providence, so that, Lord, our lives live for your glory. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.